What was he frightened of, she wondered, as he burrowed his knees into her thighs and clutched at her through the cotton nightgown. She had been awake for some time, trying not to cough. In the hollow of the mattress, swaddled in too many blankets, the young woman felt a film of sweat on her brow and on her throat. The child had been uneasy all through the night. Twice he had called out and prodded her with small, soft fists. She, too, prickled with restlessness. She tried to shift away from him, needing to stretch, but he held on more fiercely and even moaned a little. Perhaps they had had the same fearful and excited dreams, she thought, as the boy nuzzled his face between her shoulder blades. Despite herself, she began to cough, a barked, repressed sound which shook through her. The boy flung away and rolled over, leaving a narrow channel between them, a sword's width. The young woman turned on to her back, breathed in as deeply as she could, and felt relief ripple through her body. Her hands ran down it, as if smoothing it out, making it ready. After a while she reached across to touch her son, and closed her eyes to meet the comforting slow surge of dark colour and swirl of movement, a universe of its own in her mind. She would travel there until it was time to start the big day. What time he would return she had not been told, but the day had been named. After the years it had come so suddenly she felt breathless. About two hours later, less than a mile outside the town, the black iron locomotive broke down again and stood inert in the bare northern landscape. A groan ran through the carriages crammed with soldiers on the last lap of their odyssey. Still more patience demanded, even so near the end. Sam was next to the window. He looked out and lit up. His batch would be first off. The train was headed for the west coast, calling at all the small towns and villages along the way, decanting soldiers. These men had made the longest journey back from the war. Beside him were the rest of the solo whist school, which had been in continuous session for almost six weeks since the last sighting of the shores of India. A few miles back in Carlisle, the regimental city, they had finally put the game to bed. Sam had vowed never again to play solo whist as long as he lived. After the stop, the men dozed again. They were as practiced in catnaps as they were in drill. Only Jackie was wide awake, rarely taking his eyes off Sam. He had not been part of Sam's section in Burma, but on the boat he had used the fact that they had known each other back in the little town as an excuse to tag along. Sam smiled at him and said, I'm browned off with this. The stopping and queuing of the many unexplained halts had been just about bearable until now. With their town only a few fields away, a rush of frustration strained at his practiced tolerance. I went mushrooming in a field over there one time, Jackie said, nervously pointing it out. Never seen the like. Thousands. Whiter than white. Strip the lot. Straight up to King Aney's in Water Street for him to get them off to Newcastle on the nine o'clock train. Made a fortune. Took the lot. Jackie's prattling had aroused a couple of the others, and all of them now stared out of the motionless window, looking at the dawn light stroking their native fields. They were home. They really were. They were home. They could let the expectation loose now. Just across those fields, hidden over the hill whose rim was being more and more firmly penciled by the steel light, was their town. They had made it back.